Good evening, brothers and sisters, and welcome to Ephesians, the, the, our class of Ephesians chapter 3, the revealing of God's mystery. And I'm so happy just to be here with you uh, today. Uh, now, if you find me uh, wearing a tie and a shirt right now, it's because I barely got off work. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I know it's a little bit weird. Usually, I'm wearing a t-shirt, but uh, today, uh, I was running late. But... I thank God for the opportunity that He has given me uh, to start uh, a brand new section, actually. We're going to start with section B today. We were looking at uh, section A. I decided to break it down between sections like I always do. Uh, but we're going to look uh, verses 14 all the way to 21. So if you can see this in your Bible, it's really short. It's just seven verses. However... It is a long, it's going to be a long, a, a, a long detailed class. So, even though today uh, we're, we're going to do our best to explain everything. So, as we begin, we're going to go to section B. Paul prays in light of the mystery. As you may know, and you are already know this, the mystery is that we are all one in Jesus. We're all part of the body of Christ. Now, we're going to enter into verses 14 and 15. Okay, 14 and 15. Now, open up your Bibles really quickly to verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. So, it says like this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Verse 6. Uh, that was uh, verse 15. So, we're going to go we're going to uh, start with verse 14 and 15. In introduction to the prayer. Before I get into the points, Paul is praying here. For all these seven verses are Paul's prayer. They're his prayer. He's praying for something and we're going to explain why he is praying for. Now, the basis of Paul's prayer was his knowledge of God's purpose. There you go. This means he, con uh, he confidently prayed according to God's will. Now listen to this. We can't pray effectively if we do not have insight or know into God's purpose and God's will. You can never pray effectively if you don't know God's purpose and His will. It's not about praying very eloquently, using big words, or screaming at the top of your lungs so that everybody can hear you. That kind of reminds me of, of, of the parable of the, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. That the Pharisee was basically praying out loud but the tax collector was praying very softly. He was praying an effective prayer, knowing God's purpose and God's will. Right? So we can pray effectively if we do not have the insight of, into God's purpose and His will. I bow my knees, right? Or I get down on my knees and pray. Paul prayed in the posture of bowing his knees. Or taking the knee, you know, 
In football, you take a knee, but this time, you're on your knees. This position is utmost humility, was in contrast to the more normal posture of prayer in that culture, praying standing up and with your hands raised. That was the culture back then, praying with your hands raised like this. But Paul here is actually kneeling down. That's a position of humility, of utmost humility. So, to Paul, this, this was very important, very important to do. So, if we continue on, it says that the humility came when he considered, listen to this, when he considered God's eternal plan, his place in that plan, and how God's work is unstoppable even when Paul was imprisoned. Take a note of that. The humility came. The humility will come in your prayer when you consider God's plan, your place in that plan, and how God will work through that plan. Consider the plan. Know your place in that plan. And know how God will work in the plan. It's as simple as that. And that's how humility will come in. That's how you are going to be humbled in your prayer. Consider the plan of God. Consider your place in it. And how God will work through it. Right? Now, I'm going to give you some examples of characters or personalities in the Bible that did this exact same thing, that bowed down, that got on their knees and prayed. Solomon prayed on his knees, 1 Kings 8.54. Ezra, the priest, prayed on his knees. That comes in Ezra 9.5. The psalmists, they encourage us and they call us to kneel. Psalms 95.6. Daniel, we all remember who Daniel was. He prayed on his knees, right? They bowed down in sign of submission. People came to Jesus kneeling. That comes in Matthew 17.14. Matthew again, 20.20. And Mark 1.40. Stephen prayed on his knees. Do you remember who Stephen was? He was a deacon in, in, the, in the first church. But he was what? He was the first martyr of the church. He was stoned to death. But in, in Acts 7.60, he prayed on his knees. He's the one who says, I see the heavens opening up and I see the Son of God sitting at the right hand of God. Peter prayed on his knees. That comes in Act, Acts 9.40. Right? Paul prayed on his knees. Acts 20, 36, and other early Christians prayed on their knees, Acts 20, 21, 5. But most importantly, Jesus prayed on his knees, Luke 22, 41. Now, if you want to know what, what that scripture is about, you can go ahead and read it, but I'm going to tell you right, straight away, this, was, this, this moment was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it says that he went 
inward. He set, he set himself apart from everybody else and he just knelt down. Jesus knelt down because he knew that the time of agony was near. The Bible has enough prayer. Listen to this. The Bible has enough prayer not on the knees to show us that it isn't required, but, is also, but it also has enough prayer on the knees to show us that it is good. So it doesn't matter how you pray, standing up or kneeling, but it's very important as well to kneel down. It's very important for us. Right? So, Adam Clark sees a connection between Solomon's kneeling down prayer and the, at the dedication of the temple and Paul's kneeling, kneeling praying here. He says this, Many parts of this prayer bear a strict resemblance to that offered by Solomon when he dedicated the temple. The apostle was dedicating the Christian church. So, King Solomon, I'm saying it in Spanish because Solomon, Solomon, there, there we go, Solomon. I say Solomon. <laughs> King Solomon was dedicating the temple. Do you remember when David wanted to build the temple, but God said no, and he said, your son will build it? Solomon built the temple. He dedicated the temple. He prayed on his knees to dedicate the temple. Here, Paul is on his knees, bowing down on his knees, and dedicating the church. He dedicated the church. While he was in prison, he dedicated the church. To continue heading forward. How great and awesome is that? Right? That he dedicated the church. Even though he was in prison. He dedicated the church. And there's a resemblance between his prayer. And Solomon's prayer. To the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul directed his prayer to the Father. Which is presented as. Who is presented as the planner among the members of the Trinity or the organizer, the one who thinks of these plans. In the Bible, prayer is usually directed to the Father through the Son by the empowering and the direction of the Holy Spirit. I'll say that one more time. Write it down. In the Bible, prayer is usually directed to the Father, through the Son, by the empowering and the direction of the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. From whom the whole family is in heaven and in earth is named. In remembering that all God's family is called after His name. Paul showed that his mind was rather taken with the idea of the essential unity of the body of Christ. God is the Father of both Jew and Gentile. That has been throughout, if you read the book of Galatians, Paul has a problem with the so-called super apostles that be only believe 
that the gospel of Jesus Christ was only meant for the Jews. No. God the Father. God is Father of both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus came to this world to, uni to unify all creation, all human beings, being Jew or Gentile, to Him. Restore His family. That was the intention. Right? To restore His family. Charles Spurgeon preached a touching sermon on, on this verse entitled, Saints in Heaven and in Earth, One Family. In it, in the sermon, he developed the idea that we are all one with our brothers and sisters in heaven and how this enriches our hope in heaven. Now, if you read, or I don't know if you, uh, if you uh, searched up a sermon from Charles Spurgeon, it's almost an hour and 30. There, it was almost two hours of, of, of him preaching. And if you see his transcripts, they're like 20 pages long. Or more than that. With normal font. So, yeah. But that's the gist of it. He developed the idea that we are one that we are one with our brothers and sisters in heaven and how this enriches our hope of heaven. <clears throat> now, some commentators think Paul refers to heavenly families in sense of family of angels. Yeah, he's not referring to that, but that's only some commentators, what they believe or what they think. Albert says, May not, the holy, may not the holy angels be bound up in spiritual families, though they marry not, nor are given in, in marriage? Um, they weren't designed for that. The angels are not given in marriage. They are part of God's family, of course. They're his part, of, part of His creation. But they cannot be given in marriage. They don't marry each other. As far as I know, or I'm, the Bible doesn't say that. But they live to serve God. So, it is believed that they, they cannot be given in marriage. Right? Now, let us enter verse seven, 16 through 19. We're almost there, brothers and sisters. So, verse 16 through 19 says, I pray not that I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your in your hearts through faith and I pray that you you uh, you be uh, that you are being rooted uh, in uh, in and established in love may have power together uh, together with all the Lord's pe holy people to grasp um, how wide it, how, and long and high and deep it is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Right? So let us jump right into it. Verse 16 and 19, Paul prays again for the Ephesians. He's still praying here. 
So, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. What does that mean? Paul asked what they would be strengthened with might. Paul asked that they would be strengthened with might. He was asking the God, let them be strengthened. And that, and that uh, the strength would be according to the riches of His glory, or in other words, a most generous measure. He also prayed that the strength would come through the Holy Spirit and that it would be put into the, their inner man. We need the Holy Spirit. So there's an inner man just as, a re, just as real a, a, as our physical body. We, we, uh, we all understand the importance of strength in our physical body, but many are exceedingly weak in their inner man, right? Their inner selves, they're extremely weak. But outside, no, you know, their shells, they, they seem pretty strong. But inside, they tend to break easy, right? According to the riches of His glory. Now, Clark says something uh, very, very uh, amazing about this verse. He says, it would be a disgrace to a king or a noble man to give no more than a tradesman or a peasant. God acts, God acts up to the dignity of His in infinite, infinite per perfections. He gives according to the riches of His glory. God will give you everything that you need. He will give it all. He is more than sufficient. He has more than enough to give you everything that you need. It's not everything that you want. He will give you everything that you need. That is the most important part. He will give you everything according to the good measure, a good measure of His glory. He won't give you anything, you know, some people are praying for a house, a good house, a, a three-story house, or maybe a, 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 the latest car. No, He will give you everything that you need. Right? So, that, some, He will give you everything. He will provide for your needs. You need a car, He will provide a car. And He will find, He will make you find the ways to do it. But He's going to facilitate those ways. Amen? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul asked that Jesus would live in these believers, even as Jesus promised in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, to ancient Greek words convey the idea to live in. One has the idea of God, uh, of living in a place as a stranger or a foreigner. And the other has the idea of settling down in a place to make it your permanent home. Now the word dwell uses, dwell uses the ancient Greek word for a permanent home. Jesus wants to settle down in your heart not just visit it as a stranger.
He wants to make your heart his home. And from the start, that is his home. But you just need to open the door. You need to open the door for that. Amen? The glory of the indwelling Jesus is something for us to know and to know by faith. It is there for us but must be taken hold of through faith. Call John, uh, call, uh, call, car John Glynn, godfather of HCG Mole, says this. You have your Bible. You have your knees. Use them. Use your Bible. Get to know Jesus. But also, get down on your knees to communicate with Him, to surrender to Him. If you have a Bible, good. You know you have your knees. Start using them. It's pretty simple. Use your Bible. You have your knees. Use them. Why? Because that will get you closer to God. Because by that, Jesus will dwell on your heart. And everything that you do this, you know that is by faith. When you open up the Word and you begin to read, you're reading by faith. When you get down and you kneel down on your knees, you're kneeling down by faith. Amen? And here we're going to, and with this slide we're going to stop. We're going to stop for a little bit today. We need spiritual strength to let Christ dwell within us. Because there is something in us that resists the influence of the indwelling Jesus. That something can be conquered as the Spirit of God gives us victory of faith. I Perhaps I don't know what you're dealing with. But maybe what we just said right now can help you. Maybe you're going through a problem, a struggle, a tribulation. That you find no solution or the way out. That is something that is resisting the influence of the indwelling Jesus. That is trying to make you resist from opening the door. You can only conquer that by the Spirit of God who will only bring you victory through your faith. Amen? With this, I want to stop. We're going to Hold, hold here and I want to invite you I want to invite you to please share this class please 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 share this class like this class and let others learn as well also don't forget that this Friday we uh, our women will be releasing their, their their class in a long series that they, they've been they've been managing Women to women, the, the women to women uh, talks. So, please, there, it will it will come out at six o'clock. Also, don't forget that we have in-person classes now every uh, on 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 Sundays with Sister Rachel. And don't forget our, about our in-person service at ten o'clock 
And also, if you don't live in the San Diego area, well, we do offer our, our, virtual, our virtual live stream at 10 o'clock as well. With that said, I thank you for this time. Thank you for joining, joining me in this journey. Keep praying for Pastor Nathan, for Brother Jim, for every single leader, in, in, for every single pastor here in this church, and for our pastors around in the area, and for uh, uh, every single leader in, around the world that keeps preaching the gospel. With that, I want to thank you. God bless you, and have a blessed week.